And now stay tuned for the program that has rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler, transcribed by the Signal Oil Company for New Year's to enable the entire production staff of The Whistler to spend New Year's Day at home with their families. famous Go Farther Gasoline invite you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. For extra driving pleasure, the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And for Sunday evening listening pleasure, the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program, The Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story. Evening Stroll. Rumor, gossip, no matter how idly begun, may often come to a violent conclusion. Its pernicious content can twist and distort the mildest of deeds until with a deadly force fed and made strong by repetition, its weight can smash lives. The venom of rumor, gossip, is always around. Defense against it is pitifully inadequate, and no one is immune. Not even Professor Malcolm Dunn on New Year's Eve strolling across the darkened campus, puffing quietly on his pipe. At the moment, he seemed pleased with the way things had turned out. The rather embarrassing session a few days ago with Dean Wilson was forgotten, and his thoughts were only of the future, his future at the university. At the library, he paused, debated for a moment if he should turn here and take the shortcut home. Perhaps it was because he wanted more time to be alone, more time to savor the prospects of a bright future, that he decided against the shortcut, even though it was getting late, and continued along the tree-lined street, entered the residential district of the university town. Oh, Professor! Professor! Oh, uh, Miss Crandall, Miss. Hi. Mind if I walk along with you? Of course not. <sighs> Isn't it a wonderful night? Yeah. Cool, crisp. Mm-hmm. Just think, in another few hours, a new year will be with us. On your way to a little celebration? I just left one. Horribly dull, really. Oh? I may not even go back. Jerry's in one of those moods again. Uh, Jerry? Jerry Hayes. Uh, he's just a friend. He took me to the party. We had words. So you decided to take a walk? That's right. Mm -hmm. Professor? Uh, yes? I heard Dean Wilson had you in for a long talk the other day. That's right, Midge. About... Me? About you. I'm sorry I've caused you so much trouble. But I'm not sorry I ever fell in love with you. Midge, I'm old enough to oh, be your... Oh, please don't say that. But you don't understand. Some things I do, Professor. For instance, this one-sided romance isn't any good. I've caused you nothing but trouble. I realize you can't afford to get mixed up with any of your students. It isn't as though I'd given you any encouragement. True, we've seen quite a bit of oh, each other. Oh, you've been very proper about the whole thing all along. It's my fault, all of it. I admit that. But I can't help it. I'm in love with you. It's, uh, it's very flattering, Midge, but... Still, you wish I weren't so obvious about the whole thing. Uh, well... I've never once told anyone that you were in love with me. I believe you, Midge. But don't you see, there are some people who take a thing like this gossip it around. 
The rumors begin to spread. First thing, there's a nice scandal. It's already started, hasn't it? I mean, that's why the dean wanted to talk to you. I don't mind telling you that session with the dean was more than a little embarrassing. I'm terribly sorry. Well, it's all over now. I've explained everything to his satisfaction, I'm sure. All this hasn't ruined everything for you, has it? Hmm? I mean, you're taking over the history department when Professor Ferris leaves next month. No, thank heavens. This new position is very important to me, Midge. To my wife, too. It means a great deal to both of us. It means a lot to me, too. I... I hope I'm around when it happens. What... What do you mean? I'm leaving the university. Oh. Uh, you are? Yes. Going to New York. The call of the theater, you know. Uh, Father has a friend who... Has a friend who's a producer. And, well, it'll be a small part to begin with. I'm sorry you're going to leave us. Are you? Really? Of course. But I'm certain you'll become a very great actress someday. Thank you. People say I'm acting all the time anyway. Well, here's my apartment house. I'll see you to the door. Well, how do you like that? No key. I've locked myself out again. Uh, sure it isn't in your purse there? Nope. Now, how am I going to get in? The house manager's at a party. Probably won't be home for hours. Well, you just can't sit out here all night. Isn't there some way we There could... is. My apartment's around back, on the ground floor. The screen on the bedroom window's loose. <sighs> Trouble is, I, I'm not very good at climbing through windows. If somehow you... Oh, no, I couldn't ask you. Well, when a lady's in distress... Oh, thanks, Professor. We'll go in the front way here. The lobby door's always unlocked. You follow Midge into the apartment house, down the long corridor and out to the back of the building. With little effort, you manage to remove the screen from her bedroom window climb over the sill and drop into the darkened apartment. Okay, Professor? Right. The light switch is in the alcove, straight ahead. I'll find it. Oh! oh, oh. oh you all right, Professor? I guess so. You forgot to warn me about the coffee table. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'll be right in. You make your way slowly across the room and finally find the light switch. You open the hall door... Return to the window and replace the screen as Midge steps into the apartment and closes the door behind her. You're a lifesaver, Professor. Hurt yourself on the coffee table? Fractured a few bones, that's all. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, and look, you've got dust all over your coat. No harm done. Oh, I wouldn't be too sure. Looks like a stain of some sort. Hmm? Why don't you take your coat off, Professor? I'll get some cleaning fluid. Oh, don't bother, Oh, Mid. no bother, really. It'll only take a minute. Well, all right. There we are. Uh, just drop it on the chair there. Okay. Oh, now what? Excuse me a moment, Professor. Hello, Midge. Oh, Jerry. I'm sorry I acted the way I did, Midge. I guess you had every right to walk out on me. I... Oh, I... See, you have company. Yes. Now, can't we discuss what happened at the party some other time, Jerry? Sure. Sure we can. Guess maybe I wasn't so wrong after all, huh? Maybe those rumors... Jerry, please. Okay. Good night. Good night, Midge. Good night, Professor Dunn. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Professor, but... Jerry, he, he, he's such a child. Midge, that quarrel you had with Jerry at the party tonight... Have anything to do with me? Well, yes, in a way. Look, he seems like a nice sort of chap. Why don't you call him no, back No, no, I'll, I'll see him tomorrow. Uh, now, do sit down, Professor. Midge. Yes? Mind telling me something? Uh-uh. Did you really lock yourself out tonight? What do you think, Professor? I think I'd better be running along. Good morning, Mrs. Dunn. Oh, morning, 
welcome. Breakfast will be ready in a moment. Fine. Say, I must have been asleep when you came in last night, Claire. How was the party? Oh, very nice. The Donaldsons were so disappointed you didn't come, but I explained you just couldn't. Good. You go to bed early? Uh, no, no. I worked for a few hours. Then I went out for a walk. A long walk. By the way, Mrs. Dunn, how about a kiss for a happy new year for your husband, hmm? Uh, happy new year to you, Professor. <laughs> now you sit down. Read your paper. Oh, uh, Malcolm... Yes? Isn't Midge Crandall one of your students? Why, yes. She is. Her picture's there on the front page. What? Why, so it is. Someone shot her last night at her apartment. Shot her? Yes, they've taken her to the hospital. They don't know if... if she'll live or not. Because this is New Year's Day, Signal Oil Company has asked me to skip the regular message about Signal Gasoline in order to bring you a few extra chuckles with these limericks. Mrs. Don Bonaquista of Phoenix, Arizona, will start her new year with a $20 Signal Gasoline book for this limerick. Like the man on the flying trapeze, you can drive with the greatest of ease. If you'll only be smart and right from the start... Say, fill it with signal gas, please. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far with no further gasoline. Tonight's second $20 signal gasoline book goes to Mrs. Rod Duby of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, for this limerick. A man with a love for smooth driving found his car needed reviving. He tried signal gas. And now he can pass all road tests without even striving. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far with no further gasoline. We regret that we couldn't start the new year for all of you with a $20 signal gasoline book. But we do hope that happy, safe driving will fill your new year with miles of smiles. It's a shock, isn't it, Professor? Your hands tremble as you hold the morning newspaper. Stare down at the photograph of Midge Crandall on the front page. The story is all there. The shooting at her apartment. And as you read through the first few paragraphs, you realize it must have happened only a short time after you left the girl's apartment. Your first impulse is to pick up the phone and call the police. Tell them you were with Midge Crandall last night at her apartment. But suddenly you realize it won't help the police find the guilty person. It would only involve you as well as other innocent people needlessly. And after your conversation with Dean Wilson a few days ago concerning Midge, the gossip about the two of you, you know you can't afford to become involved in the shooting. Somehow you manage to get through breakfast, and then afterward you leave the house and go for a long walk. You need time to think, don't you? Perhaps in some way you can assist the police and help them find out who shot Midge. Then as you're strolling along the walk in front of the science building, one of the students joins you. Say, Professor, you hear about the shooting last night? Uh, yes, yes, I heard about it, Bill. Ah, sure knocked me for a loop. I know Midge pretty well. She's a nice kid. Tough. It's a real tough break. Yes, yes it is. Too bad that Simpson guy didn't get a better look at the man who was with Midge. The Simpson? Uh, who? The witness. He was sitting in a parked car right across the street from Midge's apartment, waiting for somebody. He told police he remembered seeing a man going into the building with Midge. I... I see. I didn't give much of a description of the guy. Medium build, slender, well-dressed. Said he might recognize him if he saw him again, though. Well, here's where I turn off, Professor. See ya. Yes. Uh, yes, of course, Bill. Happy New Year, Professor. Hey, Jerry! Wait up, fella! Jerry. The sound of that name spins you around, doesn't it, Professor? You watch Bill join another youngster, see them hurry across the campus toward the village. But he isn't the Jerry you're thinking of, is he? 
Suddenly you remember the young man who was at the door of Midge's apartment last night. Jerry Hayes, the young man who saw you there with Midge. And you wonder why he hasn't been to the police to tell them about it. May I speak with Jerry Hayes, please? Uh, yeah, uh, just a sec. Hey, you guys. Pipe down, will you? I can't hear a thing. Oh, what was that again? Is Jerry Hayes there? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Hold on. Hey, Jerry, for you. Who is it? Beats me. Hello? Jerry, this is Professor Dunn. Oh. Hello. I'd like to talk to you, Jerry. I figured you would. Where could we meet? The path at the far end of the athletic field in ten minutes. Is that all right? Okay. It's a good question, Professor. Why didn't I go to the cops, huh? Suppose I ask you the same. Listen, Jerry. Sort of an embarrassing question, isn't it? Why haven't you told them that I was there in the apartment? Why haven't you? Something holding you back? Sure. And I know just what it is. Do you? Look, Professor, I don't want to get mixed up in this any more than you do. Why not forget about it? Suppose Midge dies. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good at all. But we'd keep our mouths shut. I didn't see you, you didn't see me. I don't know, Jerry. I, I don't think that'd be right. I don't think there's anything for you to worry about, Professor. According to the newspapers, the police haven't found any clear prints on the gun. Is that you, Malcolm? Yes, Claire. My, that was quite a walk you took. I'm glad you're back home, Malcolm. There was a call for you. Oh? Dean Wilson's housekeeper called. Said to tell you he wanted you to come over. Uh, now? Well, she sounded like it was rather important. I... I see. Come in, Professor Dunn, come in. Thank you, Mrs. Shaw. The dean is in his study. I'm sure he'll see you in a few minutes. The lieutenant shouldn't be with him much longer. The lieutenant? Yes, Lieutenant Franklin, police department. They're in there with Mr. Simpson. Simpson? He's the man who... The witness... Police think the man Mr. Simpson saw last night might be the one who tried to kill Midge Crandall. Oh, isn't it terrible, Professor? That poor girl. I understand she's still in a coma. And, uh, thank you very much, Dean Wilson. Uh, sorry we had to take up so much of your time. Oh, quite all right, Lieutenant. I uh, can't overlook anything, you know. Don't have very much to go on. Simpson here and I'll sort of roam around, if you don't mind. Oh, of course not. With luck, we might spot our man. Quickly, you turn your back to them, Professor. Stare out the window. You want to run, don't you? But your legs refuse to act. And you pray that Simpson doesn't notice you. Well, thanks again, sir. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Let's go, Simpson. Oh, and there you are, Malcolm. Uh, Afternoon, sir. Uh, Sorry to keep you waiting. I just got here a moment ago. Come in, come in. Uh, terrible business, that. Terrible. You heard, Malcolm? I think the man who shot Miss Crandall is here, on our campus. Yes, I, I heard. Uh, any definite leads? No. Unfortunately, the witness Simpson hasn't been able to give a good description of the man he saw go into the apartment building with the girl. Does... Uh, Does Mr. Simpson think he can identify the man if he sees him again? He seems to think so, yes. I, for one, certainly hope he's right. This thing must be solved, Malcolm. They've got to find that man. Yes, yes, of course. Well, let's get on with it. I want to discuss several matters with you, Malcolm, about your new position. Hope you don't mind my calling you over today. Oh, of course not. Professor Ferris will be leaving earlier than we expected. So it's important we get to these things as soon as possible. Yes, sir. For the remainder of the afternoon, you sit with Dean Wilson in his study. 
He's talking about your new position with the university. But your mind isn't on it, Professor. You keep thinking about the police lieutenant and the witness, Simpson. They're on the campus now, looking for the man who was with Midge Crandall last night. And you wonder how long you'll be able to stay out of their way. Finally, when you leave the dean, your mind is made up. You've reached a decision, haven't you? Yes. And there's only one thing you can do. Yeah, what? Oh, oh, hello, Professor. Come on in. Uh, no, no, thanks. I just stopped by to see if Jerry Hayes was in. Oh, no, no. He's down in the village. Well, he'll be back soon. I see. Uh, will you tell him I must see him immediately? It's very important. Oh, sure, sure, Professor. Uh, have him come to my house. 423 Oak Road. Okay, I'll tell him. You've made up your mind, haven't you, Professor? Hiding from the police isn't going to solve anything. Instead of helping them, you're wasting valuable time throwing them off the track while the guilty person remains at large. At your home, as you wait for Jerry to arrive, the nervousness has gradually left you, hasn't it? You're strangely calm, ready to face whatever happens. Then as a battered convertible stops in front of your house and Jerry steps out, you dial police headquarters and ask for Lieutenant Franklin. Yes, Professor Dunn? Lieutenant, I have some information. It's about the Midge Crandall shooting. Oh? Would you come to my house right away? 423 Oak Road. All right. I'll be there, Professor. Malcolm. Oh, Oh, yes, Claire. What is it? Did I hear you just call the police? That's right. You said something about Midge Crandall. Oh, excuse me. Uh, that's Jerry Hayes. I'll let him in. Malcolm, what's this all about? I'll explain in a moment, Claire. How are you, Professor? Come in, Jerry. Hello, Mrs. Dunn. How are you, Jerry? How's Janet? I haven't seen her in ages. Oh, she's fine. Janet? Jerry's aunt is an old school chum of mine, Malcolm. Never would have gotten into the university here if it hadn't been for the two of them, Professor. Guess I owe Janet and Mrs. Dunn a lot. I see. Now, Malcolm, what's this all about? Yeah, what's up, Professor? Jerry, I've called the police. They may not believe I had nothing to do with the shooting, but... The police? Wait a minute, I thought we... It's no use, Jerry. I want you to tell them all you know about this Midge Crandall affair. Even that I saw your wife there? What? That, that's right, dear. You mean you want me to tell the police I saw Mrs. Dunn come running out of Midge's apartment house last night? I... I admit it, Malcolm. I, I was there. I was the one. New Year's Day is an appropriate day to take stock of one's blessings. So we of the Signal Oil Organization would like to take this opportunity to express our appreciation to all of you who have given us so much for which to be thankful. To you loyal Whistler fans whose continued preference for Signal products has helped us grow from a small start in one state into an organization serving six western states, we are genuinely grateful. To independent Signal dealers, whose conscientious service has helped so much to keep customers and their cars happy. We are mighty appreciative. So that all of us in the Signal Oil family may continue to merit your friendship and your business, you can count on us to pursue our policy of making every Signal product and Signal service always finer and more complete. Throughout the new year, as for the past 19 years, we shall do everything in our power to make your stops at Signal stations as well as your miles behind the wheel. Happy ones. It came as a staggering blow, didn't it, Professor? Your wife's admission that she had shot Midge Crandall. Yes, you'd been afraid to get in touch with the police because it meant admitting that you had been there in the apartment yourself. And you knew it would start the gossip again and involve other innocent people. Yet finally, you decided to face the consequences. Tell the police that you were the man the witness Simpson had seen. So you'd call Lieutenant Franklin, asked him to come to your house. Then, too late, you learned that your wife, Claire, had shot Midge. You've got to believe me, Malcolm. I swear I didn't mean to do Claire, it. Claire, why why did you go over there? I'd, I'd heard talk about you and, and Midge. 
I just had to see her. But she admitted it was all wrong, her fault, that she'd been very foolish. Yes, yes, but... She kept telling me how much she loved you, and yet she couldn't have you. And then... Then she picked up the gun. Malcolm, I didn't know what to do the way she acted. I suddenly got the crazy idea she was going to kill herself. Oh, Claire, you don't know, Midge. She was putting on an act. I had to stop her. And when I tried to take the gun away, it... It went off. Oh, Malcolm, I didn't mean for her to get shot. I wouldn't have harmed that girl for the world. But, but you ran. You left her. I got outside the door of the apartment before I realized she might die if I didn't do something. And then I heard someone running down the hall. I knew the shot had attracted attention. But she'd be found immediately. <sighs> Malcolm, and the police. Look, Mrs. Dunn, they don't know you were there. You didn't mean to shoot, Midge. We... We don't have to tell him a thing. Wait a minute. Jerry, suppose Midge died. No, you'd better let the police in, Malcolm. Good evening, Professor. Come in, Lieutenant. Hmm? Lieutenant, my wife, Jerry Hayes. How do you, How do, you do, Lieutenant? Now, Professor, uh, you said over the phone something about the... Yes, yes, uh... Jerry here saw a woman hurry out of Miss Crandall's apartment house last night. A woman, eh? Mm-hmm. Yes. So he saw a woman. And Simpson saw a man. <laughs> but, but, Lieutenant... Yeah, a lot of people went in and out of that building last night. But it doesn't mean a thing. What? What? Miss Crandall came out of her coma a few minutes ago. Oh, uh, she's going to be all right. Oh, that's great. She's a wonderful girl. Yeah. She was worried for fear we'd think one of her boyfriends had done it. Actually, it was just another one of those uh, I-didn't-know-the-gun-was-loaded cases. Miss Crandall told us she shot herself by accident. Let that whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil and fine automotive accessories. Remember, if you would like the fun of having your friends hear a limerick of yours on The Whistler, the address to which to send it is The Signal Oil Company, Los Angeles, 55, California. All limericks become the property of The Signal Oil Company. Those selected for use on the Whistler will be chosen by our advertising representatives on the basis of humor, suitability, and originality. So, of course, they must be your own composition. Featured in tonight's transcribed story were Donald Woods, Barbara Eiler, Mary Lansing, and Gil Stratton, Jr., the Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Steve Hampton, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember, at the same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Again, on behalf of Signal Oil Company and the independent dealers who serve you, I want to express the hope that you have enjoyed your holidays and that your new year will be filled with peace, prosperity, and the good health with which to enjoy the many blessings in the good old USA. Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. 
Yes, friends, it's time for The Whistler, rated by Independent Research, the most popular West Coast program in radio history. Just as when he had left on that same bus almost a year ago. At that time, Roy Collins was certain that he would never have reason to return. But now he did have a reason for returning. A good reason. Crossing the plaza, the guitar music he heard reminded him again of his former mining partner. Old Dan Bosley and Paul. Yes, Paul Fallon was the youngest and the laziest. Interested only in learning to play that second-hand guitar he'd picked up somewhere. But now it was Lola Mendes Roy wanted to see. The girl who ran the tiny cafe. Lola! Lola! It's Roy! Roy Collins! Roy? <laughs> Senor Roy? Oh, but no, no. Oh, it is you, it is. Oh, Senor Roy! Oh, there, there, Lola. Of course it's me. Come on. Oh, Senor Roy. Hey, take it easy. Did I really stay away, Lola, from you? Oh, no, no, I did not. I, I did not know what to think, Senor Roy. It's just, well, it's just that I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> well, it's more I like it. To... You look tired. Tired? Oh, yeah, tired, hot, and I... Hey, Lola, I hope the cafe hasn't changed if you still got some of that good... Tequila. <laughs> yes, yes. Sit down, Senor Roy. Right. No, no, no. Over here by the bar. Oh, I'm so happy, Senor Roy. So happy that you're well and back again. Back in Riondo. Yeah, me too, Lola. Oh, it's good to sit down without bouncing around on that rickety old bus. No, never mind that now. Here, drink this. Yeah. To your return. Ah. <clears throat> oh. Senor Roy. <laughs> Senor Roy, are you back to stay? Or maybe just to see your old friend Dan Bosling. Oh, I don't know. I might look him up, maybe. I really came back to see you, Lola. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, how is Dan? Is he making out okay? Oh, see, si. He bought the watch. The silver one. I told you that in the letter I wrote. You asked me to let you know when he bought it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Dan got his silver watch, huh? Always said he would, didn't he? <clears throat> when he struck it rich. Yes. Is he still up in the hills in our old camp? I think so. Oh, see. Oh, Manuel. Manuel, look. It is Senor Roy. He's come back to us. Oh, yeah. yeah. The long arm of the law. <laughs> Hello, Manuel. Senor. Senor Collins. Oh, sit down, Manuel. Have a drink with us. No, thank you, Lola. What's the matter, Manuel? <laughs> Southwest Mountie always on duty? Always, Senor. 24 hours of the day, I am on duty. Oh, that's fine, fine. <laughs> that still amuses you, senor? Oh, sorry, Manuel. It's just that in this sleepy little joint... Nothing that... ever happens. I remember you always used to say that. Did I? Always. But you forget, senor, that Riondo is just one place, one village. Oh, Manuel has been promoted, senor Roy. He patrols all this territory now. Travels over part of it each day. Well, congratulations, Manny boy. Why did you come back, senor? Why didn't you keep going like you promised? Oh, now, wait a oh, minute. Please, I, I... Manuel, just because he and his partners had a little fight. You I am not... sorry, Lola, but it is my job to ask such questions of strangers. Strangers? <laughs> and hardly that, Manuel. I spent quite a few months here. Weeks, senor. You did not stay long enough to know Riondo, but long enough for us to know you. Well, now, I wouldn't say that. Neither would I. I... I will see you later, Lola. I have some reports to make up. But Manuel! 
selection committee was actually as you expected. Lola pleased and joyous at your return. Manuel Rosales, annoyed, suspicious, certain that your return threatened his obvious romantic inclinations toward Lola. With a promise to return later, you leave her and, walking through the village, your thoughts turn back to your old partner, Dan Bosley. And then, the sound of the guitar startles you again, doesn't it, Roy? But only for a moment. You're sure Paul Fallon, your other ex-partner, is far from Riondo at this moment. You're sure that he hasn't the knowledge you have of Dan's recent good fortune. At a blacksmith shop at the end of the street, you stop, rouse the dozing old man, and present your proposition. He doesn't take to it too well, does he? Ah, see, see, senor, I have borrows, good, strong, fat animals, but I do not rent them without the pay in advance. Now, look, look, Juan, I said you'd get your money. It's just that I haven't got it right now. I have to work a deal with a friend of mine. No, no, senor. No pay, no borrow. I'm very sorry, senor. Now, listen, you dried-up old goat. Why bother with him, Roy? What? I have enough for our journey. Oh. Uh-huh. One of your old partners. Welcome back to Riondo, Roy. And if I may be so bold, may I ask, did you come to see an old pal? Or did you come for gold? Shut up and put that thing down. <laughs> okay, okay. But if I can't sing, we'll talk. There's nothing to talk about. What are you doing here, anyway? Oh, you see, there is something to talk about. Now, you hate Riondo, but you're back. Now, there's got to be a reason. A good reason. Like what? Well, like maybe our dear old ex-partner, Dan Bosley, making a strike. Did he? I wouldn't know. <laughs> Neither would I. But we'll go see him, won't we, Roy? Sort of renew our old partnership, just like you figured. I didn't figure any of your thoughts. No, not with me along, you didn't. But you'll lead me to him. Will I? You might as well get this straight, Roy. You're not going anywhere without me, partner. Oh, yes, we're right back in Riondo. Two of the unholy three. We're going to take Dan's gold away. Half for you and half for me. planning your careful trip down here. Your certainty that Paul knew nothing of Dan Bosley's good luck in the hills far back of Riondo. But it's all right now again, isn't it? Yes. You had to move fast and run the risk of Lola suspecting your plan, wondering if you'd really come back to see her after all. But you're almost in the clear and she doesn't seem to suspect a thing. She's even helped you, is still helping you. Here in the darkness in back of the old cafe. Lola, you're okay. I'm not forgetting me. Oh, I hope you will be safe, Senor Roy. And that you will come back soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I will, Lola, real soon. Now, look, are you sure your uncle will miss the borrow the supplies? Oh, no, no, he will not. The supplies I bought. I'll have the borrow back to him in a week. And after that, Lola, I'll make it up to you. We'll get out of this berg. Be careful, Senor Roy. The mountain trails, the rivers, they're dangerous. Manuel says... Never mind what that half-baked deputy says. You heard what I said, didn't you? You and me, Lola. Oh, see, Senor Roy. You and me. Adios, querido. On the trail alone, with your movements covered by the night, and Lola's assurance that she'll say nothing to anyone... You're confident again, aren't you, Roy? Pleased that you've outmaneuvered Paul. Of the three of you, Paul knew the least about the territory around the old camp. He never went there alone, so he'll be unable to find the hidden canyon. You have trouble remembering yourself, don't you, Roy? But you remember enough to follow the river exactly as Dan always did. It's almost dawn before you decide to rest. You halt the burrow... 
sink down wearily near a tree on the riverbank. You feel yourself starting to doze off, and then... You leap to your feet, stare around the half-darkness of the near dawn, wonder if you're imagining things. But you're not, are you, Roy? You're not imagining anything at all. He does not like me. He slipped out of town and fled. But I found him now by this old tree. And I'll stick with him till I'm dead. Okay, Roy. Let's go see Dan, huh? You've lost, haven't you, Roy? At least for the present. Paul's tricked you. Followed you from Riando and whatever you find at the end of the trail at Dan's little cabin in Hidden Canyon. You must share with him unless... I found him now by this old tree And I'll stick with him till I'm dead Yes, Roy. There might be something in Paul's ridiculous song. A way out for you. Something not quite as ridiculous as it sounds. You've been thinking about it all day, and you're still thinking about it as the two of you make camp that night on a rocky cliff over the river which winds through the twisting canyon below. Then as you stand there, looking down on the river, a ribbon of silver gleaming in the bright moonlight. Hey, Roy. Look down there along the river. Isn't that smoke? Yes. Dad's place. That's not very far. Why'd we stop here? A lot farther than it look. I see. <laughs> Seems to me we could have come along the river all the way instead of hiking up over this mountain. I thought you might enjoy the view. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's an inspiring sight. Sure. Sure it is. Quite a drop from here, isn't it? Down there to the river. Yeah. Quite a drop. The following morning finds you alone on the trail again, leading down the mountainside. And it's almost noon when you reach the river's edge. You stop for a moment, look up to the lone tree high above at the top of the cliff where you were camped last night. Yes, it's a long drop, isn't it, Roy? Paul Fallon couldn't possibly have survived a fall like that. Then as you turn and start up the river, you freeze in your tracks as the bullet kicks up a tiny cloud of dust at the top of a nearby boulder. And then a smile crosses your face and you relax. Yet you don't make a move. You wait. And presently he appears, walking easily along the path, coming toward you. Hello, Dan. Roy? Yeah. Roy Collins, your old partner. Hiya, Dan. Didn't recognize you. Still pretty quick with a trigger finger, eh? But then you always were, uh, cautious. I don't like strangers nosing around. Yeah, I know. So you're back, huh? Well, I'm pushing through, Dan, into the interior. Figured as long as I was in the neighborhood, I'd drop in and say hello. I see. Just passing through, huh? Yeah. Say, look, you don't mind if I stay over a day or so, do you, Dan? I, uh, I can stand the rest. No, I guess I don't mind... Come on, shack's down this way. Build me a new place after you, Paul, and I split up. You walk away casually. Then when you're a few hundred feet down the path, you look back. Dan hasn't moved. Now's your chance, Roy. At the base of the cliffs, you stare at the crude setup for washing gold dust out of the river sand. Then your eyes wander up the smooth face of the cliff to the top. The lone tree directly overhead. Paul must have fallen close by, but there's no sign of his body. You whirl at the sound. It's only a loose boulder, Roy. And then suddenly a thought hits you. Is it possible that Paul is still alive? That he wasn't killed in the fall? Is he somewhere close by at this moment? Watching you? Uh, what? Oh. Oh, Dan. Out for a walk, Roy? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd come down here, take a look at your layout. Too bad it isn't paying off. Yeah, too bad. Uh, look, Roy, I'm going down river. Check some traps, I said. 
Want to come along? Well, I guess I'd better not, Dan. I, I, I think I'll stay around here and catch up on my sleep. I'll, I'll be leaving in the morning, probably. Oh, I, I see. Well, all right, Roy. I'll be back by dinner time. Okay, Dad. It's a break, isn't it, Roy? With Dan out of the way, if only for a few hours, you'll have time to search his shack. Look for the gold you're certain is there. You watch Dan as he disappears around the bend, and then you race back to the camp and begin your search. After an hour or two, you finally find what you're looking for, hidden away under the loose floorboards of the shack. Yes, Dan's gold. Back after sack. A small fortune, Roy. Now you'll have to act quickly. Pack as much gold as you can on your burrows and get out before Dan returns. As you reach down to pull up the first sack of gold, your hand freezes in midair. You're certain you heard something outside, the snap of a twig, perhaps. You remain motionless, unable to move, hardly daring to breathe. Finally, you slip across the window and look out. There's no one in sight. Your hand is trembling as you return to the gold cache. Begin piling the gold sacks on the table and then... Hello, Rose. Dad. Found what you've been looking for. Oh, wait a minute, Dad. Take it easy with that, that trigger finger, huh? Didn't expect me back so soon. Now, wait a minute. Look. Look, Dad, I, I know you don't think that I... I didn't go far, Roy. Had to find out what you were up to. Let you show your hand. And you did. Now, listen. Dad, I, I, I was just looking around. You got me all wrong. Sure. All right! As Dan staggers back from the blow, you kick the gun from his hand and clatter to the floor. You pick it up quickly, and you're ready for him as he lunges at you. Dan sinks slowly to one knee and then crumples to the floor. You really shouldn't have come back, Dan, not so soon. You... You won't get away, Roy. No? Look. Look out beside... The burrow. I let him go. I was going to make you walk back to Rihanna. Okay, Dad. I'll walk back. And I'll make it, partner. Even with all that gold, I'll be carrying your gold. No. No, you'll never get there. You don't know your way well enough. I'll find my way, Dad. I got in here. I'll follow the river back out. Long way around, but easier with a load. The, the river? No. No, you'll never... Make it. This way you're wrong, pal. I'll make it all right. You're the one who isn't going to make it. They'll find me. So what happened? Not right away. They won't find you. You know, Dan, when you dug that place under the floor to hide your gold, you were digging something else. Your own grave. <laughs> figured out, haven't you? With Dan's body rolled under the floor of a shack and the loose boards back in place over it. You have only to pack all the gold you can carry into knapsacks, wrap them onto your back, and then hurry to the river. At its edge, you stop a moment near the digging, wondering for a fleeting moment about Paul's body. What became of it? And then you have another idea. You can cover your tracks, can't you, Roy? So that if anyone else happened along, they won't know what direction you took. You wade along the river's edge, ankle deep, move along for several yards in the cold water, and then a sudden clutching fear grips you as your feet seem to give way, and you begin to sink. Now you know what happened to Paul's body. It fell into quicksand, Roy, and you've walked into the same quicksand. You don't know your way in these parts. The river. No, you'll never make it. Never make it. Frantically, you claw at the pack strapped to your shoulders. It's Dan Bosley's gold weighing you down, forcing you to sink deeper and deeper. Yes, Dan's gold. The gold you killed for, hurrying you to your own death. Desperately, you reach out, manage to grab the branch of a tree. But all you can do is hold on and try to keep from sinking deeper. Help! Your own voice, Roy, bouncing against the hills and back. 
And then the memory of another voice seems to fill the air around him. I found him now by this old tree, and I'll stick with him till I'm dead. Suddenly the bushes on the river's edge part, and someone appears there. Hello, senor. Who is it? Manuel! Manuel, help me! Give me your hand, I know, senor. You are tiring fast. You cannot hold on too long. My position is a strange one, senor. If I leave you there, you would never bother Lola again. Well, well, you can't. You can't leave me like this. But, well, where are you going? Come back. It's all right, senor. I will be back. No, don't leave. Those tree branches. Throw some of them out here. Something that'll give me some bark. Oh, no, senor. Believe me. I've had to do this before. I will help you the same. What are you, what are you going to do? I know this quickly. We need something long and flat. Something you can hold on to while I pull you out. All right. Anything. But hurry, Manuel. Si, senor. I will hurry. I will tear up the floorboards in Dan's shack. Floorboards? No, not the floorboards. Si, senor. They are the only supports I can get here. I am sure that under the circumstances, your old partner Dan Bosley will not mind my pulling them up. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.